Amen. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to preach today about the fact, what we just heard. The work of God is to believe. In John 6, after some people had witnessed the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, they came to Jesus and they asked him a question. They said, what must we do so that we may do the works of God? That we may work the works of God. So the context of the question sort of gives you the, the flavor of the question. It's like, man, you do cool stuff. <laughs> it's like, you are amazing. We want to do stuff like that. What must we do that we might do the works of God? And Jesus' answer is so interesting. He said to them, this is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he has sent. They had to be thinking, really? <laughs> like, is that it? That's it? Yes. In fact, that's it. The work of God is to believe. In other words, for us to fully rely on God for ourselves, for our families, for our circumstances, for our vocations, for our incomes, right? When we trust him with our future, when we trust him with our past, we are doing the miraculous work of God. And if that sounds easy, it's because you've never tried to really do it. It reminds me of when I was 18 and at the mall and I'm standing at the, the bottom of the, the down escalator. And there's an up escalator. And, and I'm, I'm actually going up. But what fun is that? <laughs> you know, I mean, so I'm thinking that I'll bet that I can get to the top going up the down escalator faster than the people who are going up the up escalator. And, and the coast is clear, right? And, and, and I just go for it. So I'm curious. I just, I'm curious. If you've done that, will you, will you raise your hand? If you've done that, see, yes. My brothers and my sisters. I'm not recommending it, okay? I just want to say. But, but the reason that I bring it up, because to me it's a picture of a life of faith. Because the reason that image is so powerful is that all you have to do when you're going up the down escalator, all you have to do is stop, stop, stop struggling, right? Take a break, get distracted, bam, you're right at the bottom again. And that's what happens when we enter into this battle to believe, this battle to fully rely on God, to entrust the outcomes of our finances, of our children, of our family, of our work to God. The moment that we begin to do that, everything in our life works against us to pull us down from that place. So I'm going to tell you the story this morning of two men who ran up the down escalator of faith. And their stories really are the story of every saint in scripture. In fact, their stories are our stories. My prayer, my prayer all week has been that their stories would provoke your story because your story is the one story that has to be understood and owned today. So the first story comes from Luke 8, 41 through 56. And it's about a man named Jairus. 
It says it was a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, and he came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. So Jairus is in an emergency state, right? He's in a panic. He's in agony because his only daughter is dying. I mean, at the edge of death. And now Jesus has been to Capernaum once. And when he was there, he did miracles, right? He, he fed the 5,000. He cast out demons. He healed people. And so, and so when he returned, he returned by boat. And when the bow of that boat hit the sand on that shore, Jairus ran out from that crowd, begging and pleading that Jesus come to his house to heal his daughter. And what we know about Jairus is that he was a ruler of the synagogue, which meant several things. It meant he was wealthy. It meant he was very well respected. He was a leader in his community. It meant that he rubbed shoulders with the Pharisees. Right? He, he knew the scuttlebutt about Jesus. He knew Jesus was a controversial figure. He knew that the Pharisees were, were opposed to him, that the Sadducees were conspiring against them. And yet this wealthy, religious, well-connected leader of the community throws himself at Jesus' feet and pleads for him to come to his house because his, his only daughter of about 12 was dying. You know, the timing, so, 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 so Jesus, Jesus responds and says, yes. And Jairus' hope just had to well up inside of him. I mean, because of the timing. I mean, his daughter is about to die. Jesus shows up. The timing is, is it's too perfect to be anything but the sovereign hand of God. And yet, that's the moment when Jesus says, yes, let's go to your house. That's the moment they start up the down escalator. And the first obstacle that would have pulled him back down to the beginning was an unexpected wait. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. It's chaos. I mean, it's just chaos in this huge crowd. And, and if, in my mind's all right, I see Jairus and he's like, He's, he's, he's in an ambulance, like in his mind, he's in an ambulance. If he had, if he had lights and a siren, he would have, he would have turned them on and he, he's pushing, he's, he's plowing his way through the crowd. He's making a way for Jesus. I mean, how could he not be doing those things when seconds would have made the difference between life and death of his daughter? And right in the middle of it all, he, he, he looks over his shoulder and Jesus isn't there. And so to his utter amazement, Jesus has stopped and Jairus waits because there's somebody else in the crowd who'd been waiting for Jesus. She'd been waiting for this moment for 12 years. There was a woman who had a big medical problem, a flow of blood that would never stop. Mark, Mark says this of her in Mark 5, 26. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She had spent everything that she'd had and she was only getting worse instead of better. And she steps out and Jesus stops and he begins to minister to her 
Well, Jairus waits. And it takes a while because she's shy. And she doesn't want to tell her story. And can you imagine the tension inside of him? I mean, listen, okay, to be honest, she kind of broke in line. Like, I had somebody break in line. I was about two weeks ago, I had somebody break in line. Like, I was waiting patiently for like five minutes, and then somebody just, I was so mad. I mean, I don't know. It just does something to you. So not only is his daughter in a crisis, right? And he's in an emergency. She breaks in line. Jesus stops and he's ministering to her. And Jairus is pacing. And that's when things go from bad to worse. Because at the very moment that Jesus says to this woman, finally, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. At that very second, he looks up and he sees the pale, drawn face of one of his servants. And then again, in my mind's eye, in my imagination, the servant's eyes are swollen and his lips are trembling. And, and Jairus knew what he was going to say before he ever said a word. Even so, what he said shattered him because this is the words of the servant, your daughter's dead. It's too late. Don't bother the teacher anymore. I've delivered that message, a similar one, before. Years ago, a friend of mine, Hunter Dockery, came to Greensboro, and he brought his family, and they were staying at our house, and they went across the street to play at a park. And I got a call. They couldn't get Hunter, and they, they called me to tell me that his brother David had died in a motorcycle accident. And had to make the walk to the park. And Hunter saw me coming and he knew something was horribly wrong. And he just looked at me and said, what, what, what's wrong, brother? What's wrong? And I said, your brother David is dead. And Hunter just collapsed. He collapsed. I'm sure Jairus wanted to collapse but in that moment Jesus had something to say hearing this Jesus said to Jairus don't be afraid just believe and she will be healed so Jairus in this moment is faced with a life defining choice I mean he can let Jesus move on he can succumb to anxiety and fear. He could have just said, I am totally and completely overwhelmed by life and I give up. And he'd be right back down to the bottom of the escalator. Or he could use whatever strength, whatever thread of faith he had left to do the work of God. Because the work of God is to believe. He had a choice. He was either going to let Jesus walk away as he sat in despair, or he was going to let Jesus walk with him to his house by faith. He had a servant in one ear saying, give it up, man. It's over. It's too late. Don't bother the teacher anymore. But then he had Jesus in the other ear saying, just believe, just believe. So Jairus had a choice, and the choice was this. Who is Jesus? Who is he? 
Was he just a teacher? Because in this moment, he needed more than a teacher. He needed the, the author of life, the Lord of life. And Jairus has nothing to hold on to at this moment in time but his faith. And I'm going to leave you right there in that story. Take that story, put it in the parking lot of your mind. I'm going to tell you one more. This is the story of when Abraham offered up Isaac. It's from Genesis chapter 22. And this is how it reads. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to Abraham, Abraham, <laughs> here I am, he replied. And then God said to him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice in there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Okay, unlike Jairus, Abraham's been walking with God for about 30 years now. 30, 35, 40, we don't know. Isaac, do you remember this? He's the long-awaited miracle child. He's the fruit of 25 years of faith. He's the vindication for Abraham having left home and left his family. Isaac is the hope of the future. He's the promise of God. And God says, give him up. Give him back to me. And those words must have clapped like thunder in his ears. And it didn't make any sense. Absolutely no sense. Which is why I think this verse reads the way that it does. Because it's almost like you can watch Abraham trying to process what God is saying. He says, take your son. And you can hear Abraham like, which, which, which one? Which son? And then he says, your only son. You, you mean Isaac? Isaac. He says, Isaac. You mean the one I waited 25 years for? That's the one. The one you love. And offer him as a sacrifice. No way. Way. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey and took, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And then we're told that on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. It was a three-day walk. Can you imagine? I mean, what do you think he's thinking? Funny, I can tell you exactly what he's thinking. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 tells us how Abraham reasoned his way through this. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And here's what Abraham was thinking. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. I mean, t taking the life of Isaac contradicted what God had been doing for the last 30 years of his life. And this promise that God would birth nations through him. And so there's no way to understand what God was doing. But he had clearly settled on one thing. That God would fulfill his promise. Even if he had to then raise him from the dead. If that's what had to happen. Then that's what would happen. 
So do you kind of see the parallel between these two stories? Abraham's the second character on a long walk. That long walk up the down escalator. On that long walk home, Jairus had to believe against all odds. And so did Abraham. Gosh, when you think about how much he loved his son, his only child, his, his child of promise, what a gift he was, what a miracle his existence was. And they're on their way and he's thinking, I'm going to lose him. At least for a time, he would study every move that Isaac made. He would, he would immortalize his expressions. He would cherish his words and just every once in a while, he would just hug him inexplicably. And then the worst moment of the whole story of Abraham comes in verse 7. Where Isaac, you know, he's just having a good time. He's on a road trip with dad. He says, he says father, yes, son. Uh, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said this. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. God, those words are so prophetic. They're a lot like John 129. When John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. People read this story that God asked Abraham to take the life of his one and only son. And, and you know, you read that and if you take it seriously, your stomach is in knots. You cringe. Sacrifice my child. That's inhuman. It's unspeakable. It's criminal. And yet that's what God did for you. God only asked it of Abraham. God did it for you. When Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, he had no idea that he was speaking about what would happen thousands of years later. I mean, the parallels are unbelievable. So they go up to Mount Moriah, right? Did you know that that is the very site on which Solomon's temple was built? Second Chronicles 31, Solomon began to build his temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Where? On Mount Moriah, right where Abraham is. So there is a sacrifice, and it is of a one and only son. But ultimately, it's speaking. God wants you to know how long you've been on his heart. That he began with Abraham, giving us a picture of what he would do through his one and only son, Jesus, all those years ago. But Abraham, he couldn't see or know any of that. He didn't understand what God would do. All he could do was keep walking by faith, step by step by step, up the down escalator, fully trusting himself to God. So you have two saints. You have Jairus, you have Abraham, and what made them saints is they quit. They never quit doing the work of God. Now, at the end of these stories, there's miracles. The miracles are byproducts. 
At the end of the story of the long walk home for Jairus, Jesus raises his daughter from the dead. But Jairus had to walk through death to get to life, right? He had to walk the walk of faith. Can you see him walking this walk home and, and he's in this weakened emotional state and, and he's resourceless. I mean, his daughter is dead and yet he kept on walking. And you see it in, this, in the journey of Abraham. He's so amazing. He did it for three days. And God answers miraculously at the end of that story. And this is what happens. He gets up to the top of the hill. He takes out his knife. He's going to take the life of his son. And an angel appears and says, don't lay a hand on that boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, there was a ram caught by his horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. You see it? It's a story of faith. It's a story of every saint in scripture. It has to become our story. God has made provision for us. That's where we begin. That's a promise. There's a ram in the thicket waiting for you. But you've got to walk to the top of the mountain to get it. Everybody wants to see God move in power. Of course, when he feeds 5,000 from scratch, it's no wonder people came and said, what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answered, he couldn't be clear. Look, if you want the fruit, you got to understand the root. The work of God is that we believe in him who he has sent. So let me just bring it home. I, I'm just going to start with this. Hopefully, everybody here started their walk with God. Hopefully. I mean, if you haven't, make today the day. He created you. He loves you. He gave his life for you. His, God's highest desire for you in this life above everything else is that you live in relationship with him. And he made a way for that to happen through the sacrifice of his one and only son. So that there's nothing, there's nothing that has to stand between you and God. There's no sin, no fault, no failing, no stumble, no betrayal. It's all paid for through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. And that's a gift that can be received by faith because the work of God is to believe. So if you haven't prayed that prayer, pray it today. So we're just going to say a simple prayer. In fact, it's a one sentence prayer. And how about everybody say it together? Lord, you gave yourself to me. I give myself to you. In Jesus name. All right. If that's the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, the most important thing for you to do next is that you tell somebody before you leave. Those of you that have been walking with God for some time, I have a question. What are you believing God for? I don't mean what do you dream of or what do you wish for? Or what do you hope happens? I mean, what do you know that God has promised you? 
What do you know? If you don't know, then you need to ask. Because you can't believe till you know. <laughs> I mean, if you don't know, just be like Jairus. Get on your knees and ask. You might not be ready to believe. You might be in a place where you need to seek. So, but if you do know, right, then the work of God for you is to believe. And I'm, 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 I'm giving you this message. I'm preaching this sermon today because I want to encourage you in your faith that, that God will meet you as he has spoken over you. He will. He will. It's a promise. I can't tell you where the provision will come from, but there's a ram in the thicket and your job is to keep walking up the down escalator by faith and then God will meet you in that place. So this week I had the opportunity when I met with Pastor Jim and Pastor Perry and I was thinking about this message. I just said to them, look, I need to know this and I had never asked it in these terms. I said, what are you believing, Pastor Jim, Pastor Perry, what are you believing God for, for our church? Not, not, again, not what you hope, wish, dream. What do you know God has spoken over our church? And I'll tell you some things they said. We believe that God has planted a spirit-filled church in North Raleigh. We believing for a spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-empowered church in North Raleigh, a place where people encounter God. Don't, don't just go to church, don't just hear about God, they encounter God. A place where, where families are transformed and lives are transformed because they've encountered God. They said, we believe a harvest is coming. That God has spoken growth over this church that he's given a word to the pastors for this church in a culture where churches are struggling to grow God has chosen to bless this church and has spoken growth over this church they said we're believing God for the resources to do that for the leaders to do that for the tools to allow that to happen and that we're believing God that he's going to raise up leaders not just for our church but for our region what are you believing God for? I tell you what my biggest, okay, one of my biggest, a really biggie for me with the American church is that the church has no vision. I was listening to uh, NPR with the Bahamians had gotten slaughtered by the hurricane and it was the head of the Red Cross and he was, they couldn't get in. And he just kept saying, we're just so frustrated. We just can't, we can't get in to help those people. We just, we just can't wait to get in there so we can get to work, right? Because they have a mission. If you join the Red Cross, you understand the mission because you're gonna help people in need and you're gonna, you're gonna get to work. Well, well, okay, that's why people join the Red Cross, right? Why do people join church? because they've caught the suffering heart of God for the world and they're ready to get to work? I hope so. Because that's vision. But if like, you know, I go to that church because it makes my life a little less lonely and a little more comfortable and a little better for me, that's a complete lack of vision. It's a consumer mindset. 
where the pastors are the Red Cross workers and the people are the victims of life. It'll never work that way, ever, ever, ever. God has called us with purpose. God has spoken a word of harvest over the congregation, but it's not enough for Pastor Jim and Pastor Perry to believe it. You have to believe it. You have to believe it. We have to believe it, that God has called us to something great. Jairus knew that a word of life had been spoken over his family. Abraham knew that God had come to an aging, childless couple and said, you're going to be the father of nations. Do you know what they did with that word? They received it and they walked in it no matter what life threw at them. And I'll just wrap it up with this. I'm here because I believe this. I'm here because God has spoken a word to me, personal word to me. God told me that our church, Restoration Community Church, was like a seed that needed to be buried in the ground in order to bear much fruit. And I don't know if the people of New Path understand the pain of that for the people of Restoration Community Church, that we had to bury a child child's not dead. It looked like a loss. It was the beginning of a great harvest. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Pastor Jim, Pastor Perry and I are one heart on this. We're asking you to do the work of God with us and believe it and walk in it and act like it's true. Would you agree with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Oh, Father, how you love us. How much you love us. You gave your one and only son. You gave it all. And then we worry, like we, we, we worry about the little things of our life when you have demonstrated beyond all reason how much you love us. You've made provision for us as individuals. You've made provision for our family. Lord, you have a destiny over us. Don't let us waste our lives on being comfortable. Don't let us live self-indulgently. Call us out, Lord, with purpose. And let us take that difficult walk of faith up the down escalator because we have fully relying on you. We're believing you for great things. You have a destiny for us. Lord, we receive it. We want to walk in it. We want to live by faith. And then Lord, then Lord, one day we're going to see miracles, miracles, miracles. They were already spoken of this morning. People are going to be saying like, well, how did you do that? How are you organized? How are you structured? When it was the fruit of faith, Lord, fill us with faith, increase our faith, unleash our faith, unite us in this destiny, pour out your spirit, come Lord Jesus in power. We ask it in your matchless name, amen.